Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. So, uh, hey, if you have your Bibles, hopefully by now you're in uh, James chapter 5. This is the last week of relationships and a few lies that ruin them. If you miss any of these, or if one of them really pricked your heart and you want to go back and listen to it again, you can check it out on our YouTube page, uh, our Facebook channel, or our podcast. And probably the easiest way to find us is um, Grace Bible Church Sebring, I think is the easiest way to, to find us on Uh, the internet. And so uh, I would encourage you to check that out. If you want to look deeper, I told you guys throughout the series, much of this conversation was uh, motivated and informed by Pastor Chip Ingram. And you can listen to his teaching on all of this. I did one session for each lie. He does two sessions for each lie. And you can find that on our Right Now Media platform. If you don't have your own Right Now Media account, we can give you one for free as our gift to you as a church family. So if you really want to dive deeper into some of these lies that we believe that are derailing our lives, then uh, contact our church office so we can give you a Right Now Media account and you can go check out Pastor Ingram's stuff. So uh, let me cover so far the lies that we have walked through in the last uh, four weeks and then today we'll do lie number five. Lie number one, all the way back at the beginning, sensual pleasure will satisfy my inner longings for happiness. In other words, if I could just get what I want, then I'd be a lot happier. We feel that that's true, but in reality, there's plenty of times we got exactly what we want in our lives to find out that we shouldn't have wanted it to begin with, right? It's part of, yeah, amen, thank you. One of y'all is listening. Um, You raise your kids to know better. You raise your kids to realize that life isn't about getting all that you want. And frankly, sometimes when when we do get what we want, it just leaves us more hollow than we were before we ever had it. If we're not satisfied without it, we won't be satisfied with it. We look through a gospel lens at that lie that we can believe that can really mess up our lives and derail our relationships. Week two, we got into, if other people would just shape up, then my life would work out. I believe that one. Man, that's a lie that slips into my mind all the time, man. If y'all would just act right, then my life would be right. So get your life together. Uh, Listen, we talked through that conversation about no one in your life deserves the authority to hold the keys to your emotions, to hold the keys to your life, to your well-being, to your happiness, to your wellness. Only the king of heaven and earth deserves to have that kind of authority in your life. So we talked a little bit in that conversation about how to take that authority back and submit it over to the Lord um, because it belongs with him. Uh, week three, upwardly mobile job opportunities are automatically the will of God. Lie number three, in other words, if it's a good thing, it must be a God thing. If all roads seem to be leading to doing that and it makes sense practically, pragmatically in the business plan and on the spreadsheets, then clearly um, that must be God's will for my life. Not so. James says very specifically, like you forgot the most important thing, actually inviting God, the one who holds the future in the palm of his hand, to reveal his will to you in this process to know if this is the right next step for your life or if this is the right timing for that next step in your life. If you're considering a big move, a big change, taking the promotion, uprooting your family, switching industries, multi-siting or planting a church like we are, um, we gotta invite God into the centerpiece of that. He is the one who has the wisdom and the wherewithal and the understanding to set us on a trajectory of keeping in step with his spirit and ultimately carrying out the thing that he has called us to 
in our life. Last week we talked about my significance and value are determined by my possessions and we took it a biblical look at wealth, um, what it means, what it's for, and also how to, how to make sure that we steward our wealth or lack thereof wisely in a way that honors God. Um, and how just simply gaining more, pursuing more is not going to give us the happiness that we want in our lives. We need to learn how to walk in God's design for the stewardship of wealth in our lives in order to find the joy that he meant for us to have with the little that has been entrusted to us. Today is the age old adage, the grass is greener on the other side. I'm going to guess that y'all probably heard that before. I'm going to guess that we know better not to believe it, but I'm going to guess that we tend to believe that lie and it creeps in on us from time to time, doesn't it? Um, somebody told me just last weekend, hey, Dustin, make sure you tell them the grass is greener where the septic tank is. I'm like, that's pretty good. I'm going to tell them that. I like that. I like that. That's good. That's true. Amen. Don't assume that just because what you're seeing seems to be what it is, it may not be what you think it is. Uh, l- let's take a close look. This whole conversation in James has been about us reevaluating ourselves and our circumstances, not being so hasty to try to change our circumstances. Today is the same way. Um, this conversation really is about why a change of scenery rarely improves the view. Why a change of scenery rarely improves the view. Listen, when, when we feel that temptation, that lie creeping in on us, that the grass is greener on the other side, of the fence, we start to play this game in our mind, the if only game, if only fill in the blank, if only this would happen, if only my spouse would be more sensitive, then my life would be as it should be. If, if only my spouse would be less sensitive, uh, then maybe my life would be as it should be. If only my kids valued their education more, if only they would act right in school, if only my boss would get a clue, then my life would be as it should be. Like fill in the blank, like any of us under pressure start to play that if only game in our minds. We start to race through all the if-onlys, and if I could get this thing sorted out in my life and my mind, then my life would be so much better. Listen, when when we begin to believe the lie of the grass is greener, on the other side, when that starts to creep into our heart, it's actually a result of us beginning to believe a lie about God. A lie that James is gonna address with us today, and that, that lie that kind of creeps in that we start to believe about God that gives us license to believe that the grass is greener. The, the lie about God is this, that, that God's primary purpose, his greatest goal in my life is to make me happy and comfortable. I think the real God of America is the little G God of comfort. And we've just dangled Jesus's name off of it, dangled Jehovah God's name off of it. And this idea, like what we believe in our heart of hearts, and I hope you don't this morning, but if you do, or if it's starting to creep in, that God's greatest goal in your life is to make you happy and comfortable. Listen, let me rearrange that for you. God's greatest goal in your life is not your happiness. God's greatest goal in your life is you. Like you are his goal. It's it's your holiness and your transformation and shaping you into the likeness of his son, Jesus. That's what his goal for your life is. And I don't know about you, but I don't really get shaped much when it's smooth sailing. I get shaped the most when things are tough. When I look back over my life, the seasons of my life that I've experienced the most change and the most growth and the most transformation were not the seasons where everything was just clicking along and going my way. It was the seasons when nothing was going my way. The seasons when I was crying out to God saying, what are you doing, man? This, this can't be good. But it was good. It was God. 
We believe this lie about God's greatest goal in our life is to make us happy and comfortable. And what happens is we start to review every season of suffering as the absence of God, when really it is the love of God in your life to allow seasons of suffering and to lead you to it and to lead you through it so that he can continue to shape you into who it is that he has created you to be. We oftentimes, when that lie starts slipping into our minds, believing this lie that God's greatest goal is to make me happy and comfortable, we dismiss really important scriptures from our hearts. Scriptures like uh, John chapter six, when Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble and lots of it, but take heart for I have overcome the world. In other words, like life's throwing trouble at you and that ain't going to stop, but like you can find comfort and peace in me regardless of what your circumstances are. There's a peace that comes from Christ that surpasses all understanding. You know why it surpasses all understanding? Because the circumstances never change, but the peace remains strong and steadfast. That can only come from Christ Jesus. Well, we dismiss scriptures in our mind like when Peter told us in 1 Peter 4, why are you surprised at the fiery trial that you're going through as if it were something strange happening to you? Or some translations say as if it were uncommon to man. In other words, saying like, why are you so shocked that life is hard because it's called life for a reason, not heaven. It's called earth, not heaven, because life's full of hard stuff. And it's hard all the time. And James says, why are, Peter says, why are we so surprised by that? It's a part of this life journey. James chapter one actually goes as far to say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And he goes on to say, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, the apostle Paul has a conversation with Jesus that we would love to have with Jesus. And the conversation went something like this, Lord, how many more times am I going to have to ask you to remove this thorn from my flesh? I've asked you not once, not twice, but three times I've been begging you to change my circumstances. And Jesus' response to Paul, second Corinthians 12, nine, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect and your weakness. My power is made perfect in your weaknesses is when we are at our weakest that he is most prevalent and prominent in our lives. So trust him in that hard stuff. Listen, um, we, because we tend to dismiss scriptures like that, believe the lie that God's greatest goal in our life is to make us happy, then when we find ourselves in hard seasons or inconvenient or uncomfortable seasons, we will also make the assumption that, well, if God's goal is to make me happy and I am unhappy in this situation, this must not be God's will for my life. And we try to get out of it as fast as we can. All the while missing the point that God may have very well had you assigned to that particular season of suffering for his glory and for your good. Let's learn to wade through that well in this conversation. James is really gonna give us four, we love bullet points, James is gonna give us four, uh, four uh, commands from God about how to suffer well through these seasons of hardship while we're waiting on God to act. Like I've said through this whole series, um, this conversation today may not fit you like a glove. Uh, this may just be God's word circle in the runway of what's going on in your life. And if it is, like if you, if you sense like, like, well, this isn't quite where I'm at in my life right now, because we're obviously just speaking in principle here. This is not quite where you're at right now, but you can definitely sense like God's word is starting to read your mail a little bit. 
It's starting to read you a little bit and it's circling the runway of your life. Like this, that's an invitation for you to really begin to pursue and seek him in his word and prayer and seek godly counsel. Lord, what are you trying to tell me in this specific situation? But as always, if the shoe fits, wear it. Now, where we're jumping in to this conversation in James, James is writing to a people that are running for their lives. They have been uprooted. They have been severely persecuted. They are hungry. They have literally watched their loved ones be ripped out of their homes and murdered in the streets. They are having to hide in caves to have corporate worship services together. This is a very hard season of their life, loaded with crisis and turmoil, loaded with heartbreak, and it's all because they chose to trust Jesus as Lord and King and follow him with their lives. Now their families have abandoned them. They've been written out of the will. They're running for their lives. They're barely making it. They're struggling. What do you think that God would have to say to a people like that in a situation like that? Well, here's what he says to them. James chapter five, verse seven, starting in verse seven, he says this to a people who are suffering, waiting for God to act. If the shoe fits, wear it. God says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord and see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brother, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judges judge Jesus, the righteous judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, and behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, and you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Y'all ever heard of him before? Oftentimes we go through seasons of suffering. We like, we like to like compare ourselves to Job and all that he went through. Well, he, he goes ahead and does it for you. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job despite his hardship and trials, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord in Job's life. Nice thing about Job's life is we get to look at his life in the rear view mirror. We get to see the end of the story that it all works out for his good and for the glory of God. Now, while we're going through our suffering, we don't get, we don't get the luxury of a bird's eye view, do we? Sometimes it's hard to see right in front of us. And all we have is the word of God calling us forward and a rearview mirror of the ways that God has been faithful in the past. And we have to cling to those two things as we're walking through these seasons of suffering. But he says, remember Job and how the purpose of the Lord prevailed and that and how the Lord was compassionate and merciful to him, just like he is to you, O Grace Bible. In verse 12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear He ain't talking about cussing right there, but we'll talk about that. Either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath and let your yes be yes and let your no be no. That's right, so that you may not fall under condemnation. All right, Uh, James has given us lots of lists, which has been great because it makes it sticky and puts handlebars on our conversation. So James is speaking to a severely suffering people right here and he gives them four commands from God of how to suffer well while you're waiting on God to act. So are you ready to hear God's four commands to the suffering people? Uh, And if the shoe fits well, are you ready? Are you sure? Because you ain't gonna like it. You ain't gonna like it. Are you ready? This is God's word for you, my friends. This is God's word for me. In seasons of suffering, God gives us four commands through James, Jesus' half-brother. Command number one, he says in verse seven, be patient. (sighs) Seriously? Like, come on, like, I need to see some action. I need to see something change. Like, this is bad. 
what's going on here. And God says to the suffering, who everything literally that could go wrong in their life is going wrong in their life. His word of encouragement to them, command number one, Grace Bible, is be patient. Say, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Say, patient. He's patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Command number one, be patient. The word that he's using there in their language is the word macro thumeo, big heat. Macro meaning big, thumeo meaning thermal, where we get our word thermal, big heat. In other words, being long suffering, having a, having a long fuse that is slow to burn, be, be patient. And he immediately goes into the why, because you had to be sitting there scratching your head saying like, We're suffering here. We need you to act quickly. And God is saying, be patient. And he goes quickly into saying why until the coming of the Lord. And he immediately roots our hope and roots the calling to be patient in a future hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that Jesus is still coming. He's kept every promise he's ever made. And he's going to keep the one that he's coming back. You can count on that, partner. So just be patient. Keep hanging on, brother. Macro through mayo. Have a slow burning fuse. Don't be quick to lose your patience. Continue to be patient as you wait on the Lord to act, as you wait on the Lord to return, like be patient. And he gives us an example of a farmer who God has obviously assigned to the role of farming and that farmer has planted good seed and that farmer, while he's waiting on the harvest, he has to be patient that the rains that come season after season, that they're gonna come yet again, like they always have, to nourish the soil so that he can enjoy the harvest. James says that's the example to follow. You know you've been planting good seed, you know God has moved you to this spot, he's arranged these circumstances in your life, continue to trust him in the process, there's a harvest coming, be patient like the farmer who's willing to wait for those seasonal rains from heaven, to come and nourish the soil. The problem and the adverse would be if we've planted good seed and while we were waiting on the harvest, we became weary of waiting for the rain to come from heaven, so we pull out and we miss on the harvest altogether. That's what he's warning us against. James is teaching us right here, life's about seasons. Some of them are horribly long, but it's about seasons. And too many of us give up on the harvest because we grow impatient of waiting on the rain. Having a, having a problem in your marriage? Has it been going on for a little while? James is saying, don't, don't give up on the harvest because you've grown impatient of waiting on the rain. It's a season. Continue to wait and trust in him. Having problems with your children? James is reminding us, it's, it's a season. Don't, don't, don't grow, don't give up on the harvest because you've grown impatient of waiting on the rain to come. It's, it's a season of your life. Trust God in the season. Having a hard time in your professional life, financially, spiritually, whatever the situation may be, don't give up on the harvest because you've grown impatient of waiting on the rain to come. James says, be like the farmer who knows he's planted good seed. He knows that a harvest is going to come. He's just having to trust God for the season and the timing of the rains. Trust God for the season and the timing of the rains to bring fresh life into the soil of your circumstances. Don't grow impatient of waiting on the rains and give up on the harvest. Listen, too many people... Too many people, even people that claim Jesus Christ as Lord and King, miss out on the extraordinary work that God wants to do in their life and their family and their marriage and their children and their 
in their professional life, in their whatever, because they pull out, because they get so tired of waiting on the rain to come that they never get to experience the harvest God meant for them to enjoy in this thing of life. Listen, it's a season, James says. Hang in there, cling fast to the Lord. The Lord is near, he's coming. Be like the farmer who's trusting God in the process. Command number one, Grace Bible, what is it? Be, okay, I'm glad we're finally done with that one. Now let's get down to business. All right, I get it, Dustin, we gotta be patient. But surely you got some better bullet points than that. Well, let's ask James what the next thing that we need to do as inspired by God. Verse eight, you also must, command number two, be patient. Command number two. I ain't making this stuff up. There it is. Y'all see it? Command number one, be patient. Command number two, be patient. He says, be patient and establish your hearts or remain steadfast or long-suffering. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. Listen, when the Bible repeats itself, it's always trying to overemphasize something so we won't miss it. James literally, point number one, be patient. Point number two, be patient and steadfast. Now about this time, y'all think, I really hate this sermon today. Like I was hoping for like the five steps to a happier life. Maybe there's some book out there like called My Best Life Now or like, give me that. You know what I'm saying? Like, make me happy. Give me the tools to be happier and feel better about myself and know God's word, what it says is to the people who are experiencing severe suffering, waiting on God to act, command number one, be patient. Macro through mayo. Be be a, a slow burning fuse that lasts a long time and trust that God will move in the proper season in your life. He is up to something. He is preparing for you a harvest that you do not understand or even know how to ask for. Don't check out while you're waiting on the rain to come. Be patient. And the second thing he says is be patient for the Lord is at hand. He says it again, remain steadfast. Listen, the people of Jesus can be patient because we know that our king is returning. The people of Jesus can be patient because we know that we are just sojourners passing through. This is not our home. The people of Jesus can be patient because we know that these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far out outweighs them all. I'm just quoting Bible verses to you right here. The people of Jesus can be patient because we know that those who are in Christ Jesus, the best is still yet to come. The people of Jesus can be patient because they know that when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. When we've been there 10,000 years, we'll just be getting started, that song says. And we can be patient now because we know that 10,000 years is just the beginning point of eternity with Jesus. We know that the best is still yet to come. We know that when we finally get to the place that he has called us to, finally getting to enjoy that heaven or new heaven and new earth with him, the good news is that even after 10, even after 10 million years, we'll just be getting started. So we can be patient in him. We can wait on him, we can trust in him because quite frankly, when we've been there 10,000 years and we look into the rear view mirror of our life, if we even remember it at all after 10,000 years, whatever it is that you're freaking out about on September 10th, 2023, ain't gonna matter a hill of beans 10,000 years from now. You're gonna be rejoicing and basking in the presence of Jesus. That's why you can be patient because the coming of the Lord is at hand, you know? 
Let me take a quick commercial break though, because there are some folks, obviously that your season of suffering is so severe. You're trying to, you're trying to, God isn't moving quick enough. So you're trying to take matters into your own hands and you're trying to find alternative ways around. Like not just, you don't want to wait on God to act anymore. You want to take matters into your own hands. Now you love Jesus. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He resurrected. You believe that that because of that, like your sins have been forgiven and you, you trust in him as Lord and King. Like you believe all that stuff, but you've isolated it and you've set that apart and disconnected it from your current set of circumstances because you've just decided to take matters into your own hands. You decided maybe if I seek some alternative methods to bring some relief into my life, that'll make things better. Some of you, your season of suffering is so severe. The alternative method that you're thinking about is taking your own life because you're hoping that maybe you can hurry heaven up in your life. Listen, I want to tell you, like, if you can trust Jesus with eternity of heaven, then you can trust him with this short thing called life on earth right now. You can. If you can trust him with all of that, all the stuff that you haven't seen, all the stuff that you've only read about and heard about, like, if you can trust him with all of heaven and all of eternity and your soul from here to forever, then you can definitely trust him with your stuff right now and this light and momentary thing called life because he's the king of both of it. Everything was created by Jesus, for Jesus, and through Jesus, Colossians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, everything has now been placed under his feet. He is the authority, the preeminent one over all of that stuff. He's ruling and reigning over your life the same way he rules and reigns over heaven. Let's trust him with this little thing called earth, this little thing called life, if we're, even will, if we're able to trust him with all of eternity. Trust him. Be patient. Be patient. Remain steadfast. Command number one, Grace Bible was what? Be Command number two was what? Be? Yeah, be patient, be steadfast. Which brings us to command number three. Thank the Lord we're done with those, right? Woo! Man, give me something I can use. Got me stressing out over here telling me to be patient. You know what? Let me just speak to y'all about that for just a second. Colossians chapter 3.15 Paul says these extraordinary words, mysterious even. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let, let. All my prayers are saying, God, give me peace, give me peace, give me peace, as if I'm asking God to supernaturally take some of his peace that he carries around in a bucket and dump it out on my head. I need peace. But Paul says that that's not the gospel. The gospel is let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You know why he says let the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Because if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've submitted your life to him, then Christ Jesus is in you. That's just just the gospel. Like, the, the day you committed to Christ Jesus as Lord and King and acknowledged that there is none other like him, and you submitted your life to him, the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell with inside of you. The peaceful one himself lives in you. The wise one himself lives in you. The resilient one himself lives in you. The patient one himself lives in you. Listen, Jesus would never have called you to a thing that he didn't plan to be the ample supply for. He's not calling us to will ourselves to be patient. He's teaching us to let patience rule in our hearts. The same way he told us to let peace rule in our hearts. 
because he dwells within us. It's learning to yield to the life of Christ within us so that his peace, his patience, his long suffering, his slow burning fuse would rule in us in these seasons of suffering. That, that's why we learn to yield and bow our lives down to him as Lord and King in all the stuff of life so that that power can rule in us. We can talk more about that privately uh, if you'd like to have more of a conversation, but I felt like we needed that little commercial break. That's gospel, the peace of Christ ruling in your heart because the spirit of God is at work in you. But that brings us to command number three. Command number one, be patient. Command number two, be patient and stand firm. Command number three, you're gonna really love this one. Verse nine, do not grumble. (laughs) When we're going through hard stuff, the two things that are on the bottom of our list to do is be patient and keep our mouth shut. So the gospel takes those two things and puts them at the top of the list, empowered by the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, O Christ follower. And he says, don't grumble. Don't grumble against one another, brother, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's talking about Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, capital J. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. We consider them blessed because we got to look at their lives in our rearview mirror. We got to see the whole story at once, unlike the situation we're walking through now that we can't see it because we haven't been through it. So we don't get to look back over our shoulder and see all the details. But he says, remember the prophets. Remember how God continued to be faithful to them. We can see it because we can read the whole story. He says, oh yeah, don't forget the steadfastness of Job who we love to compare ourselves to. You have seen the purpose of the Lord at work in his life and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful and he is to you as well. Command number three, uh, don't grumble. Hey, if if you're taking notes or you're writing in the margins of your Bible, the the word in their language that he used for don't grumble for that phrase is stenadzo, stay stenadzo. Yeah, I I love the enthusiasm now that y'all don't like these points. Listen, I know you wanted the five points to a happier life, okay, but I'm just trying to tell you what God has said since he designed us. He knows what we need the most. You hear what I'm saying? So, stenazo, say stenazo. Now, there you are. Stenazo literally means when he says don't grumble or don't complain, depending on what your translation says, stenazo literally means to groan within, to groan inside, or literally sigh, or complain outside. Stenazo, to groan inside or to complain outside. Um, Yeah, Dustin, I get that, but like, what about venting? Isn't venting a biblical thing? Like if you have that one trusted friend, listen, just because we rebrand our sins doesn't make it any less sinful. (laughs) You going through seasons of suffering? Be patient, be patient and stand firm. Stenazzo, no grumbling inside or complaining outside. And he gives us the quick why, and he focuses on eternity in the future. Say, hey, you, you believe that the Lord is at hand. You believe that he's coming soon. You know that the king of heaven and earth is coming back because he promised that he would. He's either gonna come back and snatch us up as one church, or he's gonna come back and snatch you up as an individual. Uh, if, if, if it's before his return, like he, he's taking you home with him one way or another, you believe that that's coming. He says, how do, you, how do you not know that you are not right now since you don't know the future? How do you not know that the judge is not standing right behind the door about to open the door and put court in session? 
How do you not know that his return isn't about to happen right now? And here you are. Don't get caught standing right outside the door with the judge just on the inside the door about to open the door and put court in session. Jesus, the righteous judge. And here you are outside the door barking and complaining about what he's doing in your life. Probably not a good stance to have before you stand before Christ, he's saying. It's just a perspective reminder for us that if we truly are a people of eternity, that we believe that Christ Jesus is coming again, that he is the righteous judge of all things. Why would we get caught up in complaining and grumbling right now and we know the best is still yet to come? We wanna bring him honor as if he was standing right behind the door. Bring him honor in our lives, even with the words that we use. And he uses the prophets as an example. And we could go through all, a bunch of the different prophets and see why James used this as an example. But let me just point you to one for the sake of time. I oftentimes like to go to the prophet Jeremiah because he's such an extreme case. God came to Jeremiah and he said, "Um, you are going to be my mouthpiece. I am going to speak my words through you to the world around you, but nobody's going to listen to you ever. So be faithful, be patient, don't grumble. That was Jeremiah's story. Jeremiah was a prophet of God who remained faithful to God all the days of his life. As you might imagine, Jeremiah struggled with depression. It's hard to go through life and not see the movement of God happening, but Jeremiah remained faithful despite struggling with depression. We see Jeremiah write books like Lamentations in the Bible, which means to beat your breast, literally to cry out to God. Many suffered through being faithful to God, but yet he still remained faithful all the days of his life to the Lord. God, God wasn't, isn't measuring the value of Jeremiah's life based on how effective the words that came out of his mouth was. God has control over the effectivity of what it is he told Jeremiah to do. He was calling Jeremiah to just be faithful in what God had given him. And Jeremiah was all the days of his life. And that brings us back to Job, the, the guy that we like to usually compare ourselves to when we're going through hard seasons. But Job lost everything, literally everything. It got so bad, in fact, that Job's own friends turned their back on God and turned their back on Job and suggested that Job do the same. But Job refused to turn his back on God. It got so bad, Job's wife looked at Job in the eye and said, all of this that God has done to you, you need to curse God and just die. Just give up. You know what Job's response is? Job chapter one, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. That's why James calls us back to look at the prophets, look at Job, look at what God has done as a result of their lives. Look at the harvest that they got to experience and enjoy because of the faithfulness of what God was doing through them and them continuing to trust him in those hard seasons of suffering in their life. Command number three, don't grumble. Command number four, and above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but the people of Jesus, their yes should always mean what? Yes, and their no should always mean? That's right. So that you may not fall under condemnation. Command number four, let's just call it what it is. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Some of us have found ourselves in really hard seasons of suffering or inconvenience or being uncomfortable. Um, And now that we are here, James is reminding us, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, You made the covenant. You made the vow. You signed the contract. 
God, God planted you in this place and you knew it when things were good, but now that things are bad and now that you're unhappy, now you feel like it's not God's will for your life anymore. So you, you're thinking about going back on the covenant promise that you made. He says, the people of Jesus, their yes should always be yes and their no should always be no. James is actually addressing two things right here. Thing number one is um, the people of Jesus going back on the covenant or on a contract or on their word that they had given to someone else. Thing number one, just because it got hard or uncomfortable or inconvenient is not an indication that you need to make yourself out to be a liar now. Thing number one. Thing number two is, oh, and, and while you're at it, like, don't make empty promises trying to hedge your bets just in case something doesn't work out so you have a back door. And he uses the example, he says specifically, this was a cultural thing for them, do not swear by heaven or by earth, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Listen, swearing by heaven or swearing by earth, even in their culture, meant nothing. Like literally, for you, for you to swear and it for, to have gravity to make a promise, you would literally have to swear to God. You'd have to swear in the name of the Lord, and that's what made it concrete. Being someone who swore by heaven or swore by earth to try to close a deal or try to make a promise to someone at that particular time and culture would have been a whole lot like us as children on the playground and someone saying to us, do you swear? And we put one hand behind our back and we cross our fingers and we say, yep. I promise. And then later on, when it was time to keep your promise, you said, oh, but I have my fingers crossed. That was at least a big thing when I was a kid. Was that a big thing when y'all was a kid or was that like a bad analogy? Raise your hand, please, if that made sense to you. Oh, praise God. Good, good. I picked the right one. We got like six generations in here. Like, how do you pick analogies for six generations? So anyway, you get the idea. Swearing by heaven or earth was saying like, I'm going to leave myself a back door and if it doesn't work out for me, I'm going to be, find my way out. And God said, the pe- uh, James is reminding us, the people of Jesus shouldn't need a paper trail to keep their promises. For the people of Jesus, our yes should always mean yes and our no should always mean no. You know why? Because the promise keeper himself dwells with inside of us. The steadfast one himself, the one of covenants himself dwells with inside us. We are a people of covenant because of what Christ Jesus has done. And he reminds that. Listen, I, I think you're getting the idea here. James, James is encouraging us to see a big paradigm shift in our life. When we get through into hard seasons, we oftentimes get wrapped up in trying to leverage God to change our circumstances. And the if only game in our mind and our heart is if only this circumstance would change and my life would be better. James, like he has done throughout this whole section that we've been studying, he's inviting us to flip that on its head and not be a people saying, well, if this circumstance would change, my life would be better. But we flip that around on its head and say, if my character would develop, I would see this circumstance different. And we're allowing the scriptures to inform us and develop the layers of the character of Christ in us. That's the whole point right here. Listen, we we are a people who are being transformed by Christ Jesus. That's the whole point. That's his goal. I told you, God's greatest goal in your life is not to make you happy. God's greatest goal in your life is you. He wants you. He wants all of you. And if you're anything like me, those seasons of smooth sailing don't mold me very much. And quite frankly, I'm not on my knees before God in those seasons either. I don't acknowledge and recognize my deep and desperate need for him. But it's those seasons of suffering, man. The trajectory of my prayers change. The intensity of my prayers change. The intentionality 
of my life changes, all of a sudden, worship songs start coming alive in a different, I start noticing the words differently. I don't know about you. So, so why wouldn't God and his loving kindness for us authorize and design seasons of suffering so that we might be transformed more into the likeness of his son Jesus? This is why James tells us, James chapter one, verse two through four, count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness, that perseverance, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That phrase, perfect and complete, literally means that you would come to a place of spiritual maturity. Through the hardship and through the suffering is how we mature in our relationship with the Lord and how we mature and have a different perspective of the world around us. He's saying, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you experience this. I, I, I wrote in my Bible, and you can write in yours, Psalm 66.10, which says, for you, O oh God, have tested us, and you have tried us as, a, as silver is tried. For you, O oh God, have tested us, and you have tried us as silver is tried. Interesting that that example would actually be in the psalm. Some of you have heard that story before, but let me tell it for those of you that haven't. The psalmist is referring to God's refining process in our life to be very similar to the refining process of a silversmith. And the way that a silversmith purifies silver to make it valuable and worthy is he turns up the heat a little bit, not too hot too fast, you'll ruin the silver, but just enough to where the impurities in the silver start to rise to the top. And then he takes his scraper and he scrapes, it's called dross, all the impurities. He scrapes the dross off the top and then he turns the heat up a little bit more on that silver and then even more impurities start to rise to the top and he scrapes the dross off and he keeps going through this process of turning up the heat on the silver over and over again, scraping off the impurities until finally he can actually see his own reflection in the silver and that's when he knows it's done. And here the psalmist says the same thing, oh God, you are refining us like a silversmith refines. Something about this heat, this macro thumeo, something about this heat that is at work in our lives is transforming us into the beauty of being living reflections of God to the world around us. You know, but that puts us in a situation like, Dustin, you can't possibly say that we just need, need to be enduring every suffering season as if we don't need to make changes because sometimes we do need to make a change. Sometimes the suffering you're going through is not authorized by God. It's a suffering that he is actually in his word through the full counsel of his word, giving you license to get out of whether it be relational, professional, whatever. We've talked about some of that previously in the series, but as you're seeking wisdom on that, remember, we, we're, we're seeking the spirit of God through prayer. We're seeking wisdom from the word of God through his word and wisdom through the people of God through his people. That, those are the three platforms that we've studied over this series of how to make sure we're hearing from the voice of God as we're making these big decisions in our life. But if, if you're wondering like, well, am I, do I just need to endure, Lord? Are you telling me like I need to make a change and get out of this? I need some wisdom. Well, James knew we would be asking that question. So he says in verse five of chapter one, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach 
and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. So we're gonna pursue wisdom by inviting God to give us the wisdom from heaven in this situation. Now, how do I know if what I'm hearing is actually God speaking to me and not just the devil speaking to me or what I ate for dinner last night. James knew we'd want to know. Chapter three, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of his wisdom. Say meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. It's like a, it's like a bit in a Clydesdale's mouth. Anytime he changes his mind, he can fling that whole carriage over if he wants to. But meekness is power under control. He says, let your good conduct show through the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but it's earthly and spiritual and it's demonic. Demonic wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Is your motivation to get out of this season of suffering purely self-glorifying, selfish ambition, jealousy related, whatever, like that's not the wisdom from heaven coming down, that's demonic. And he says that is the prescription for disorder and every vile practice, but the wisdom from above, the wisdom from heaven is this. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial, meaning it, you're not making a judgment sheerly based on what your eyes have seen or sheerly based on what your ears have heard. You're compiling together all the information to make a wise judgment, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace to those who make peace. That's the wisdom filter as you're seeking wisdom from God and godly counsel and his words. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute? I just want to wash you with the word this morning for a moment. If you're in a season of suffering, particularly those of you that have been in long ones, and you're waiting on God to act, you recognize that this very difficult season is God at work in your life, but it doesn't take away how painful it is. And you really want things to change. You, you want to be changed by it, yes, but, but you're asking and trusting God to make change in your circumstances because of the burden that you're carrying. And you just need some comfort and encouragement along the journey and James is reminding you to be patient, be patient, don't complain and grumble, and make sure that your yes is always yes and your no is always no. Let me tell you what God said to Isaiah for the suffering. Have you not known and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary ever. And his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord 
shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. First Chronicles 16, nine says that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the whole earth, seeking to strengthen the hearts of those who are wholly devoted to him. Isaiah 41, 10 says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 41.13 says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Let me pray for you. Lord, we need your supernatural guidance in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the voice of our King that we would remain steadfast and patient while we wait for you to act, while we long for you to return, while we long to be home with you once and for all. Lord, I pray that in these hard seasons that not only would we see Jesus in it, but people would see Jesus in us through it. Use our lives for your glory. And Father, we need comfort and we need peace and we need courage. And we need patience and steadfastness that can only come from your spirit. So Lord, Lord, would you show us how would you help us learn to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.